Getting Better Acquainted's sister show, Stand Up Tragedy, is going up to the Edinburgh Festival. We're going to be doing an hour of tragedy every day as part of the PBH Free Fringe at the Banshee Labyrinth Banqueting Hall from the 2nd to the 24th of August. If you're in Edinburgh, come along and see the tragedy. Also, Getting Better Acquainted for five days only we'll be doing live conversations at the royal oak at 3 15 p.m every day from the 18th till the 22nd of august on the monday the, my guest will be rosie Wilby. all of the rest of the guests are to be confirmed but they're going to be great people and they're going to be interesting conversations. So come and get better acquainted at the Edinburgh Festival. I've always been someone who kind of lives within quite in the moment and sort of evolves and adapts to what that sort of situation is and then kind of drifts. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Fran. Hello, Fran. Hello. <laughs> and it's it's strange for me to use the word Fran as your name because that's not the name I know you by originally. So the first question I ask people is, how do you know me? How do I know you? Originally, I would have known you or seen you rather at Lancaster, uh, Lancaster University. I would seen you kind of walking around wearing a hat, and I'd be like, "Who's that guy wearing a hat?" Yes, and uh, I'm I'm wearing. I'm You're wearing now a hat the today. guy that wears the hat, that, right? We all are. And I'm not wearing a hat. We are all are in Hackney, aren't we? I mean, you well, that's true. That trend. I did. Well, I know. I I'm, I don't. I mean, I don't really believe I did, but I do like to joke that. I mean, when I when I was at uni, when when you knew me, yeah. I was the person who wore a hat. And I was at school. When I was at school, I was the person who wore a hat. Nobody else wore a hat. But then when I moved to London, everybody was wearing hats. Yeah. And I wasn't so special anymore. Well, I think that's true. where if you are the sort of person who wears a hat, then you inevitably sort of come to London. It sort of seeks you. You're establishing Maybe yourself that's true. as a kind of biggest hat wearer in your village. So you have to come to And then to you're you. like, you're top. You've topped that right, league. Like and, that's all you can, and then you're fighting against okay. other people with hats. But it was right. like a fedora, was it? Um, I had a very I had lots of different hats, but I guess they were fedoras. But I I find that that's an annoying thing that's happened. Of, that's of been given a name. That fedoras have been connected with a kind of male behaviour that I don't really dig. What like hip hipsterdom? No, um, like more like being sexist sort of thing. Really, right? Like Indiana like, Jones. Yes, fedora can in 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 some circles of the internet and the real world, fedoras are looked on as like being an indication of this guy being like a dick basically like a dick right I think there is I think there has to be like if you are wearing a hat though I think you have to think of yourself as I as I do as sometimes you're, you're a dick right but, no, in, but like a kind of a, I don't mind that connotation yeah. I don't mind being seen as a dick because I'm like a show off or I'm yeah. like unusual I don't want to be associated with that kind of there's a masculine person. bravado but, to a fedora right or? right and, yeah and it's like a bit of nice guys of okay cupid sort of vibe to the way that people think of fedora wearing um, <laughs> and that that's and some of that's justified right yeah. so, so so it comes from a place of like experience but i do kind of feel like i need to reclaim the fedora because yeah. i was wearing it before those this cliche existed and i don't like i don't think that the hat is the, the problem right? <laughs> 
it's not the, no. the hat isn't the problem and actually like I'd like to live in a world where it doesn't really matter what you wear you don't get any grief yeah. for it right because I've had, a, had grief for what I wear and a lot of the people who who don't like fedora wearers as a group have had grief for what they wear so mm. I mean it's a bit it's, like reclaiming the Union Jack away from the fascists or right, something like that right like right right, right. but I mean it, that's the thing I mean I don't really have like I don't see reclaiming the fedora as an important enough issue in the big scheme of things <laughs> I'd much rather change the people who wear the fedoras into people who no longer have those negative connotations yeah. like change the men rather than that that's like a big <laughs> that's like a bigger ambition in some ways it's more more worthy ambition probably yeah <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an ambition that I find myself more and more kind of moving towards. But anyway, yeah, enough so, about enough me. In the third year, we were in the same creative writing group together. That's right. And you were, I think you were doing like a Brechtian musical about fairy tales. I was, like called yeah. The Real Cinderella. That's like correct. The Real Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to write the Great Cheshire novel, which, you know, remains one of my right. ambitions. And then probably didn't see each other for about seven or so years. And then I saw you coming out of a show at Edinburgh. Um, it was MJ Hibbert and Carl Steve's uh, Moon Horse and the Wild Men of Jupiter. Oh, right. And I said hello then. I think I saw you, you and Matt just then. <sighs> yeah. And then just you would pop up at a PBH free fringe sort of startup meeting like last year and probably about February right. time. So that's all. That's quite interesting. When I met you that time that I don't even I don't even know if I remember meeting you that time having just come out of Moonhorse yeah that was on a stag night that was on a stag that has been on Getting Better Acquainted the first Getting Better Acquainted Edinburgh special wow is like that stag night combined with some interviews I did and, and various like a, a profile of Edinburgh and my mm. experience of Edinburgh and then the second one was when I went up and I was performed there the year after the third Getting Better Acquainted Edinburgh special is the one that I went up to as part of the Free Fringe which I guess you went up as as well, to, as yeah. Part, we were in a meeting. Yeah, it was the PBH big speech meeting. Yeah, in which you know, there's no easy. This will be the hardest three weeks of your life. Right. You know that sort of rousing the troops kind of thing. And then I bumped into you again at. Well, I kind of knew you were doing these sort of things, and it was in like the back of my mind. Then one of my friends told me about a storytelling night. And so I went along to that, and I thought, oh yeah, you were there, it's in Hackney Attic, it was Spark. And then I came along to the next one, told a story. He did, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and so then you were like, oh, would you like to come on getting better acquainted? Well, yeah, and, and I, really, I really enjoyed that story. I think I'm going to certainly touch on some stuff from that in this sure. conversation. But the, the crazy thing for me, when I met you at Spark... And I guess this is why I've had this confusion and not realised I've been yeah. in the same room as you, is you look really different from how <laughs> yeah. you used to look. Because when I first knew you, and I think we were in creative writing for a couple of years together maybe, because I think you were in the same class as Jen. Yeah. And I, we weren't together for the... Me and Jen weren't in the same class in the third year, so I think you must have been in our class before that. Did you have Jane Steele earlier then? I did. I had Jane Steele in the first year. Yeah, right. So we would have been in the oh, same group the then, same maybe. Then. Yeah, OK. Right. When I knew you then, yeah. you kind of had... You looked relatively straight, like, I if like you like. square. Right. <laughs> I look more straight, probably, in general, than I did when I was at university, but I don't... 
I've, I've, I always have a kind of slight unusualness about me and so that probably means that it's less like uh, confusing for you but like you were clean shaven now you've got a really big beard yeah uh, you've got long hair now you didn't have long hair yeah. in fact you you know in a good way you're like a young Alan Moore in some, <laughs> in some ways yeah I right? think so I've had to the Alan, Alan Moore before yeah that's what, that's I bet yeah. yeah yeah I mean I love Alan Moore so I've got no problem with that but that's the thing like when I knew you were you were not what you are now no, and that's true. kind of what you talked about at Spark London so like mm. like what happened what uh, happened, yeah, what, happened? What, what happened man did I like drop out I guess I kind of I don't know it's been a, it's been a progression of like trying changing your look and finding out different things Are you kind of like I think when I kind of went to Lancaster I was coming from like a small small village in Cheshire yeah and which you called the Surrey of the North. The Surrey of the North, In yeah. your story, which yeah. I thought was pretty uh, pretty good comparison. <laughs> I think it's sometimes you have to, when you're in the South, you have to give people like Cheshire. Because I did my first show, which was called the Cheshire Liberation Front's Political Indoctrination Rally at Edinburgh. Okay. And that was, part of the show was that Cheshire didn't necessarily have an identity for a lot of people. And when I came down, when I first came down to London, it was only really then that I sort of became aware of, being from Cheshire and like what does that identity actually kind of mean like what does it mean coming from there and Surrey the North is like a is a sort of convenient sort of easy label that you can immediately give to people and they're like oh so that's that's something that they can relate to and it sort of suddenly rings true with oh yeah Hollyoaks I remember that when I first came down to London it kind of made me think what is it being from Cheshire and it's not you don't have that sort of strong identity as coming from, say, Yorkshire or from Scotland. And so it sort of led me to sort of looking into being what from Cheshire kind of meant and what that identity was, looking into Cheshire's history and finding out it's independent between 1397 to 1399 under Richard II and the salt industry, like Cheshire supplies all this salt to, to Britain and then reading up, I'm like reading kind of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight at the moment to try and get like a proper Cheshire accent that's kind of going out away. Right. So yeah, I became very kind of interested in in these, this thing. And then also I felt that there was a part, there's like, I had a group of friends back in Cheshire who I felt were kind of, as I suppose like many people do have like with home, they've got a kind of, you know, I knew, knew them from school and we had this kind of relationship and we always did, I don't know, we weren't necessarily putting out a creative thing like a show or things like that, but we were going... Basically, most of our creativity was going down to, going to different pubs and rating them and then for an elaborate rating system, which my dad had originally <laughs> come up with. But I was like, oh... I went up to Edinburgh the previous year and saw lots of shows of, like, you know, differing qualities. And I was like, oh, I could do a show of, like, differing quality. And, yeah, I'll try and get everyone in it. So I wrote this script... Cheshire Liberation Front's political indoctrination rally and then said hey guys do you want to come up for the three weeks and apart from my friend David Harvin who lives up there in Edinburgh none of them did the full three weeks but they would come in and I had a script that they there was a little, little bit in the show which had a script which they could kind of read from and be characters and stuff like that and so that's kind of like that first the first thing that kind of pushed me into doing the fringe and also was sort of coming to terms with my like Cheshire identity. But I suppose in terms of my look, how that how that kind of changed 
I was like, when I knew you at Lancaster, I was starting to get into more into the alternative scene. Yeah. So I, I was going out to like the dark place and the right. Olympics and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Because yeah. there was some, there were some like goth places, that's relatively goth-ish yeah, places around like, Lancaster. I went to some of them. Yeah. And so that's, I sort of, I think I first began, you know, as just, I would just start off with a little bit of eyeliner and, you know, like the dog collar, like the proto-goth sort of phase that you are and you'd kind of I'd kind of hang there yeah but you probably weren't wearing them to create a writing seminars at 8.30 in the morning That's and so and we didn't really hang out yeah that's that's probably part of it after university I kind of went to Leeds to do an MA there in sort of 20th century literature and then I kind of um, after that I was like what am I going to do and I'd kind of finished and I was just I have a very poor conception of time, as you as you sort of found me turning up like an hour late for this. But I didn't. Couldn't, I found it very difficult to see into the future and see what I was going to do. So I spent like a year temping around in the in the medical as a medical secretary, and it was a kind of weird. After like being at university and being like, yeah, creative, learning about all these different you know authors, writing myself, I was suddenly cast into a world where I was just like, as a medical secretary, I was just typing up these kind of yeah. horror stories of like people's lives. I was like oh, in the post traumatic stress centre and to typing up their kind of terrible kind of memories of being sort of like raped and things like that and doing kind of um, chronic fatigue where the you know people are just seemingly like the one day they were fine and then suddenly it was just like oh I'm just really tired all the right, time yeah, and no, I, can't, can't, I know some people yeah sort of thing, and I was just yeah. like oh my god and that kind of tr- I don't, that for me I was like oh god what am I going to do now kind of thing and the first thing I really did was I was going around the sort of Leeds club nights and there were lots of different there was like a right girl night called Pussy Whipped and there was um, there was like there was a goth there was a goth night there Wendy House was in like a big goth night and I'd go to that and I was like to me and my friends one Dave Harmon again and uh, Matt Webster I was like oh, I want to set up our own night and partly this is something I've done with like quite a few things it's like the idea seems funny to me because it's it's obscure and no one will no one will like it but then you, and so I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So we did a synth night called Thesis, Antithesis, Synthesis, which was the only thing. Okay, I like that idea, night. actually. And then, so it's just pure 80 synth. And we put that on and very few people came to it. So, was this, <laughs> so you were in, were you in Cheshire still? Oh, this was when I'd gone back to, this is, I, so you're staying, in, I was hanging around in Leeds. So you're in Leeds, you stayed on after, you think? Yeah. You're in Leeds. You've got some of your friends. I've got some of my friends who are kind of, Staying out, they're still at uni. They've want there, and so I'm kind of doing that. I'm doing that with them, right? And then I kind of I do medical secretary for a year, and I'm thinking what I'm going to do. And then, sort of, the house comes to a natural end. So I head back to I head back to Cheshire, and I get a job working at Chester Zoo. Oh, cool! Yeah, right. where I'm kind of working as a kind of a visitor, a visitor researcher. So I spend a lot of time tracking people around okay. exhibits within the zoo and timing them and seeing what they kind of do. And then in my free time, I'm volunteering for them for their, like, harvest mice release programme. So they're, like, breeding harvest mice, okay. and they put them out into into these fields. Like, the north, in Cheshire is, like, the most northern kind of point where the harvest mice is kind of around. Okay. And then I'm, like, um, what you do is you're, like, oh, how are the populations doing? So you have these kind of metal traps, which don't kill the mice, or stress, but they go, you put them out, put some bait in a field, and then you come in the morning and then open them up and see what comes out into the bag and occasionally you get a harvest mouse but most of the time 
it's like a wood mouse or it's a water shrew or you know you're getting all different types <laughs> right, of rodents right. and insectivores okay yeah <laughs> and that and that's quite fun so I did that for about two years and then I was always kind of I suppose like hankering I was like there isn't much an alternative scene in in Cheshire and a bit like with the hat thing yeah and I was the hat wearing guy I was like hey let's try and head down to London well that's why I came I mean yeah. I stayed on in Lancaster for a bit after uni and yeah. did jobs I didn't like in Preston and and then a job I liked kind of in Leyland. Actually, I did like that job. I don't, don't know why I said kind of. But even when you're liking a job, right? And I was in the similar position, it sounds like, to you. I enjoyed the, the second of those two jobs. I enjoyed yeah. the, uh, the I enjoyed being with the staff, the other members of staff. Because that that's, that's really the key, isn't it? You have to get on yeah. with the people you're with. I had that, there's no scene. Yeah. There's no real scene. And I can't do the stuff I want to do unless I'm near a scene. So yeah. I've kind of got to go to a big city. Edinburgh was an option. Cardiff was an option. Couldn't go back there, though, for some reasons. And uh, so London was the... Yeah, London was the answer. Yeah. I mean, and and did you find it easy when you came? I guess... Well, I found it difficult. I, like, I had kind of... Basically, I had a couple... I think, like, moving down to London, you need... You basically need somewhere to stay. Yeah. And you need need some form of... Employment, <laughs> and I had I had a girlfriend who was down sort of at Met and was kind of living down here at the time, and then I was applying for opportunities and I got a kind of an internship at the Royal Society working as like a publishing internship for their like like kind of biology letters, uh, B and I spent a lot of time just like filtering out. That's basically my job was just to do like filter out creationist stuff that people had sent in saying like this the bombardier beetle proves there must be a creator um cut and then just send that to the relevant person who would sort of dismiss them i came down and i think like people were like telling me oh yeah it takes like oh, it takes about a year to to get established in london and i was like and get a job and i was like I, i'm i'm special it's not gonna take me that long it took me two years <laughs> to, wow. and i just spent a lot of time like well i was doing you know i was working i was like oh, i can pull back go on the medical secretary thing and then that would that would earn me sort of money and then i'd be like oh, putting the time in into internships to get more kind of editorial experience right okay and but a lot of the time that i'd be just like i'd just be like working for like i did one like weight watchers magazine <laughs> i just spent ages like all the people who'd sent stuff in for a quit like to a quiz to win a trip on the cute on a cruise ship free prize if they hadn't ticked the box that said don't send my you know details, details on then i'd be like okay now i have to take that into a database and I was like oh this is this is depressing and like immoral and then I'd get like I don't know like one day one day's worth of like and now you get to go on the Mac and edit an article about how Chinese food makes you thin <laughs> or something <laughs> or how you can do that with Weight Watchers so that was like a lot of struggle with that right. and during that time I'd be you know part of the reason for coming down was to sort of express myself creatively but not necessarily in a in a kind of creating thing, but a kind of in a, dra- in a dressing up and going to goth nights and going to slime light, but also 
doing all the fun things that are kind of available in London. So like going to like the erotic reading group in kind of Bethnal Green or getting involved with Mexican wrestling training at the London School of Lucha Libre. Okay. Or, or yeah, just like all the all the sort of stuff that you could kind of do. And I would, I'd, I'd kind of, because I'm, I think because I wasn't necessarily writing or producing anything at that time, then my appearance would be the kind of thing that I'd want to stand out. So I kind of created this, and you sort of see people like that on the on the alternative scene where they're just like, wow, they're just like blue, like all the time. Right, they're just right, like right. A blue hair and they just wear blue yeah. clothes and they're known as like bluey or something <clears> like that. Yeah. So I had a persona which I called Clown Face and I was like, I was clean shaven at the time, but I just kind of have a like a kind of white face with a kind of Daryl Hannah from Blade Runner style kind of streak across there and eyeliner on and things like that and I just hang around places (laughs) and just and just be seen and then yeah I I went I went up to the fringe and that really sort of kicked me off sort of writing again which I hadn't really done since sort of creative writing after Lancaster and that was the Cheshire yeah with the Cheshire thing in fact I started doing I did like a I like wrote a play for like my birthday like people previously to that for every birthday that I'd done I tried to like climb a mountain like as a like oh hey it's like a literalization of the passing of time <laughs> but then I think tried to do Scarfell Pike one time and it was just I'd like driven up there and it's like one o'clock and it was just like raining, pouring down and I'd only have one pair of waterproof trousers and I'd given them to my then girlfriend and she like stumbled over and fell and then we were like, I was trying to get ahead to the top and then halfway up there were some walkers coming down. I was like, how far is it? And they, they were like, you've got another halfway to go. You should turn back. And I was like, I'll be all right. And I was like, no, you really should turn back. So <laughs> we, tur- we turned back and went away. But yeah, I wrote a play for my birthday and people were like, oh, people enjoyed it and like performed it. Like just, just with us in the flat and around the graveyard and Hackney and stuff like that. And okay. the pubs. And then I started writing like a fanzine based around Cheshire called Cheshire for Life. Yeah, like, that's right. That's where your email's from. Yeah, that's yeah, right. my email. Yeah. And that sort of, I get people from home to like, it was you know, in a way, it's like a way of get, keeping in touch with all my friends who are still kind of living in Cheshire, like living right. back in, in the three villages of like Kelsall, Yucatan and Tarpley that are kind of there. And we'd kind of, I'd get them to collaborate and put things together and we'd see each other all at Christmas and, that, and kind of bring that out. I've still got this one, this year, I've still got that version to do actually, I'm well behind with it. But... Then, so that fed into the show, Cheshire Liberation Front's Political Indoctrination Rally, and then the next year, I was like, oh, I'll do it again. So my girlfriend, her PhD is on William Makepeace Thackeray, and so I did a show called William Makepeace Thackeray's Belated Bicentenary, which was, like, kind of based around the premise that um, Al Murray had, like, kind of promised for Thackeray's kind of bicentenary um, to do this kind of program about him because he's like the, as well as being related to David Cameron kind of find out he's like the great 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 some I think six greats and he corrected me one time when I was like you're the great 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 and he was like that's six greats or something like that when I heckled him in the pleasance um, <laughs> in the courtyards it wasn't a gig it was like, right, right. you're the great 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 yeah, yeah. but anyway so I did I did a show like that there was a lot of Dickens stuff going on that because it was the bicentenary of Dickens's death but what I found was that I thought oh, it would be really funny to do a show called that. But then it was very difficult to get anyone to come to the show. And I'd be like trying to flyer people in the Pleasance queue for like Miriam Margulies' Dickens' Women and going, Thackeray's much better. 
than than Dickens. He can write proper female characters and flowering like ostentatious as Great Cube. And like, like there's like one woman who'd like read like all of like all of Thackeray's novels, but still wouldn't come to it. So I'd be playing to like I don't know about five five people on average in like the back room of the bus club. But it was right, good. Right. I think it's like it's a satisfaction. To, to to sort of that sort of stru- struggle, and actually, when I speak to other people, other performers at the fringe, in the free fringe, they're like, "Oh, did William make me that?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I I remember that show." And they didn't come to see it, but they I guess remember, they, they just remember the flyers, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. A preposterous name that was like, oh, it's making it hard. Well, the myself. average audience is quite like the average audience on the fringe. I think is seven people anyway. So like, that's the, the, you know, you're doing pretty pretty okay. Like, yeah, I. Th- I I think so. I it's, think it's, it's a just, tough it's a tough place. Yeah. I mean, I've just literally before I uh, before you came because you, you like you say you were a bit late, so yeah. I managed to get a bit of a uh, admin done. And I've literally just accepted my offers to oh, to do cool. this year's fringe and like it's. Hey, I'm saying this now. God knows what I'll feel like when I'm up there or afterwards. But I I think even if it isn't, even if we don't get the audience that I think the shows deserve. It was, it's still the experience yeah. is, is a big part of what what it's about. I mean, last year I went and it really changed a lot of things in me. I think um, for the better. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I started thinking of myself in a slightly different way after that. I think we'll see if that works out this year. But I'm going to be trying to go freelance this year, so that's going to be an interesting wow, cool uh, thing to do. But the second question that I ask people, which I haven't exactly asked you, which we're around about up to though in your narrative is what do you do now what do i do now well i do like i guess there's a variety of things that i've kind of got on the go one i currently work at the british museum as what's called an interpretation officer and i do that for like two days a week and basically that's kind of you're basically you're an editor so the role is kind of a bit like like with writing a book how an author would um sort of sort of write and then there's an editor who feeds in and so the curator is like the author and I'm like the person the that's kind of editing that and there's a lot the stuff that's in there it goes to like you know text editing but also kind of planning the narrative of shows and there's also the visitor research side of that so oh, cool. I like interview people a bit kind of yeah in a, sim- in a similar way to this I interview them before like an exhibition begins so what they kind of what connotations, what kind of comes up with the subject, and then afterwards, like after they've been in it, to see what they're taking so from is it. Is that in front of an audience? They're usually like one on one afterwards. They'll take them right, for a coffee okay. and we'll have a sit down and have a chat about their kind of experiences and stuff like that. And as well as doing that, I'm doing a PhD at UCL, which is part time, and that's looking at basically museums and narrative. So, like how museums go about constructing narrative, and I think kind of. There's been like, I don't know, since like the 90s has been a big thing where museums are like, hey, you're moving from like the encyclopedic novel that a museum is just like a space for trying to cram individual pieces of knowledge in there and it's like a sort of research library kind of thing to museums telling a, a story, right. telling a narrative, like as you walk, as you I go through I saw a talk space. about this at the, t- at the story a couple of years ago, I think, somebody oh, okay. from like talking about how how uh, modern museums are, t- are creating narrative in their in the way that they're laying out their exhibitions right? yeah cool yeah should have gone to that no it's, 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 it's interesting <laughs> yeah and then the other aspect of that is because I think kind of I mean you need a you need an author and you need an audience for a story to kind of happen and there's the you know and people are coming to museums with existing narratives about a subject and 
about a museum and how they kind of interact with it. So there's that visitor research side as well, where I like interview people just before they go in. I attach a camera with a microphone to them, with their permission, obviously. Right. <laughs> and then they go around and it sort of captures their experience and then I interview them kind of a- afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a, really, that's a really interesting thing to be doing. Yeah. Was that a natural progression? I guess you were doing stuff with Chester Zoo. Yeah. But, I mean, like, how did that, how did you get that job? Like, how did that happen? I guess, like, it had, it came from, like, getting that experience, that sort of working in the education department at Chester Zoo and working, doing the Vista Research thing, but also working kind of on text and stuff and stuff there. Right. And, like, um... So it's a few different skills you've got coming together. Yeah. yeah. And... I like I applied for the job like once in my like London two years of struggle period and didn't get it. But then another contract came up like a year later, and I applied for it again. But this one was like for two days a week, and it was like for six months. I think I was quite I was quite lucky that I got in when I did because most people now definitely need like an MA in museum studies to kind of get in that first kind of role. But yeah, I got in on that two days a week, and then that became it's interesting because I think like when you come down to London. The big dream is like, hey, I'm going to be self-supporting in London and, you know, I'm you know, paying my rent. <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't like I was being like funded by my parents, but I was, you know, stay, I was, you know, relying on other people whose house I was, I was living in at the time, you know, and being a sort of parasitic person. And then later on, when you can pay your own rent, then you are the host and other people are the parasites. Like, it's not. It's not a nice way to kind of. But you know, I think you know. I've done. I've done both roles. So right. I, right. Like, no, I feel like I could. I could. Back, yeah. I, could, I, could I, I could kind of own that. But I think like you get that two days a week, and you're like, yeah. And then you got eventually. I managed to get full time. Like, yeah, I'm living it. I'm living a dream. I've got a job in in that London. And then I did did like a couple of exhibitions for like I don't know. I've worked there for about six years now, and you do like. The big exhibitions, I've worked on like Book of the Dead and Hatch and things like that and Shara Bass. And then you're like, this is hard. I don't want to be working all the time. <laughs> and it's like, how can I find a way not to work all the time? Right. And then being in the position to do the PhD and getting funding for that, it's a really lovely thing. Like not doing, you know, two, working those two days a week and then having the rest of the time is like, like to go to the library and do your research and things like that is a real kind of, I don't know, I feel very like lucky and privileged to kind right. of I've got that kind of opportunity, and yeah, yeah. I mean, y- you know, you are, but then I mean that doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy it. So you're doing a PhD. Yeah. You're also writing stuff, yeah. and you're doing a day job like this, a really interesting and exciting one yeah. that, that has a lot of requirements on your time. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive to be fitting all of that in. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I, it is it's it's hard to fit it all in i'm yeah. not i'm like a, i'm not a very good person with kind of managing time like for a long t- a long time i'd kind of be like and i joke kind of joke about it but i'd be like you know don't worry about that that's for future fran to worry about and then i'd be at the point where i'd have a deadline i'd be like oh fuck you my past self i can't believe you've screwed me over in that kind of way and that's kind of like the last show i did which i wanted to try and appeal to a more mainstream audience after Thackeray was like Scott the Antarctic, the musical. Okay. And <laughs> it's just like, I was like, eh, you can call it, you know, someone, someone's heard of and in a, a genre which people are familiar with. And that got a better, got a better audience. Than yeah, that, right. Because Thackeray's belated bicentenary. But the thing that I kind of, that captured my imagination of that was like, I know Scott, the, you know, 
planning or lack of planning and preparation and looking and just thinking, hey, I can we'll just drag our sleds as as far as we can through the slow snow. And I kind of I know, I kind of related relate a lot to that in terms of like often I'm like put myself in a position where I've just got so much I've taken on too much because I find it difficult to say no to people yeah, and I then you're like problem. yeah because you must you must exactly exactly the same thing because you're running like not so many different nights you've got your own job yeah you're writing for yeah your own stuff so I keep thinking I can't get any busier and then I get busier it's kind of impressive I, in that respect it's not necessarily fun all the time but yeah. like like yeah, you say it's a privilege to be able to do those things <clears throat> although the day job's going to be going and so that's going to make it like more of a struggle than it has been really are you going to be going full time off your own creative I'm going to try and do that wow. but I have no idea if I'm going to succeed or yeah. if uh, if that's going to work I just know I don't want to go back to doing what I used to do and the current job's going so I have to make a decision uh, and uh, that's that's the decision I've made to jump rather than well to be pushed but like make it into a jump because I wouldn't have left otherwise yeah but I think that's in a way it's kind of that's the big thing like necessity is the kind of mother of invention I hope and then, so right this world, but like, I'm at the point to, yeah. I'm at the point where I've, I've I'm still doing the day job but I know when it ends and I'm trying to do as much work as I can in advance yeah. to get myself in a good position but I just won't be able to it's going to have to be most of it just when the when the money stops existing that's when i'll have to actually yeah. find the rest of the money um, do, you a, do you have like a plan <laughs> i have i have some plans i've got a list i've got a big list but i'm i'm i've got a potential cushion in that i've got an inheritance because my grandpa passed away in okay. december but like that's t- and that's 10 grand which is nothing to sniff at no. obviously but I'm also taking the show to Edinburgh so we'll see how much of yeah, that can, that can just that, take, right? that can take that 10 grand that, yeah well it could but I can't because uh, if I hadn't if I'd have been keeping my day job then going to Edinburgh would have been fine the, the yeah. inheritance would have helped me out with that but, but because I'm not I have to make sure that I don't spend that inheritance that I need to live yeah. so I have to f- try and find a way of financing those shows um, externally from myself but the thing is, like, what it is, is it's like, I've got that cushion. It may come before, the, it may arrive when I need it. Yeah. But it may be a few months later, right? Because mm. that's just the way that law works. Yeah. It's really slow. So there might be a, a kind of harsh three months where I've got no safety net. Mm. But also, that's not sustainable, that's no. that safety net. So You're I not to... just going to carry on getting inheritances in a... Right. Yeah. So I need to find a way of... And there's a, there's a few ways, and I'm not somebody who doesn't go full into stuff. So I'm definitely going to be trying lots of different avenues yeah. and really pushing it. But just at this moment in time, I don't have the time to be able to do everything. So I've had to kind of say, well, I need the current projects because they're my calling card. Yeah. So I've got to keep them going. And so I can't do as much working on going freelance as I'd like. Yeah. But I'm going to, um, bef- you know, work on that and we'll see how that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm now going to be moving into a situation where, unlike where you're at, your, your day job is more in the field that you're interested in, in a way. Like, I was working with kids. I am working with kids, which yeah. I like doing. Yeah. But it's not... My, my ultimate ambition is to make 
art for adults. Yeah. My interests are not very. I mean, like obviously, I don't bring any of my interest into the to the to, the, to a children's group. But my interests as a writer are like not necessarily related to to what kids are into. Yeah. I'm, I won't. It's quite like I, I run an article stand up tragedy yeah. because I'm interested in dark and uh, complicated sides of of human existence, and so. You don't want to be doing that with children no I know exactly I mean I, I don't mind making I've made stuff for kids I've yeah. made stuff with for kids and, and, and would do again and I think you can put some of that sensibility actually yeah. into, into children's work but it's not like entertaining children is not something I want to do for the no. rest of my life so I knew I was going to have to leave even though it's the best day job I've ever found I knew I'd have to leave it yeah is your? I mean, is this the best job uh, day job you've ever found, or is it something that you th- you'd like to keep as a strand in your life going forwards? I mean, I think it is. It's like I'm sometimes here, like kind of I don't know, like people saying, like I listen to kind of a lot of podcasts, Richard Herring's Leicester Square podcast, and like the Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana. Right. There's a lot of people who are like kind of you got to chase the dream uh, kind of thing but I don't know if I have a like because of a lack of like forward thinking I've always been someone who kind of lives within quite in the moment and sort of evolves and adapts to what that sort of situation is and then kind of drifts I mean you know maybe maybe my look my current look is trying to look like a drifter and then finds you know, it's like, oh, this is an amazing thing that you kind of enjoy. I think you can always potentially, depending on how, how you approach things, there's always things to be interested in things. But like working at the British Museum as an interpretation officer is kind of amazing in terms of you just encounter stuff like you wouldn't encounter. It's a great job for a writer. Yeah. And like I did just did an exhibition about Japanese erotica, about Shunga and, you know, I wouldn't have thought I'd ever be paid to, like, look at pictures of, like, octopuses going cunnilingus to, like, diving girls and things like that. Sure. But, um, you know, that is the situation I found myself in, and it's like, wow, that's that's amazing. And the, the museum as well is, like, it's a bit like, I don't know, the sort of having the kind of Hogwarts private school education that I never sort of had. You've kind of... There's, like, secret doors and, like, bookshelves and things like that, and you just... It's a very kind of it's an it's an amazing sort of place just just to kind of be in and I was like I went to like for the British Museum football team awards last night I went there and presented that to the football team and the girls team had like made me like a taxidermy mouse with like it's my name my football kit on and stuff like that. Yeah, this isn't just a good job for a writer; it's a good job for a goth. <laughs> it's a good job for a goth. I mean, it's, and that's what you and your when you did. Spark London, like the way that you framed that story was like that you came here to be king of the goths. Yeah. Did you succeed? Have you got, <laughs> have you got the crown yet? I don't think so. I think I think that was kind of what that was like my initial coming in. To, that was the initial scene that I really kind of wanted to be a part of, and it was because partly because my girlfriend at the time was a much better goth than I was. Right, she was like okay. a kind of Swedish cyber goth. Yeah. But yeah, equally, yeah. she kind of. No, I thought like, you know, I was going to, I was like a provincial goth and I thought, you know, we, I'd kind of come down and she'd show me the scene. She also had, she had a, a, re, a real job as well. And she, her kind of goth days was almost like coming to an end as she embraced a kind of, the opposite of goth would be a kind of a, bourge, a bourgeois lifestyle. She was becoming bourgeois and that was the reason 
that was kind of the <laughs> that was the reason that she sort of like after a string of goth of uber goth boyfriends like she went for me as a kind of sort of a transition point because <laughs> I was just you know I don't you know my appearance isn't isn't particularly uh, <laughs> a particularly shocking I don't have any piercings I don't have any tattoos yeah that's I'm, true yeah, actually just... like even that you you self-defined as a goth I don't know if I would have actually maybe when I saw you when you had makeup on I probably would have maybe said yeah maybe said goth. But think... generally speaking I would I, it's ambiguous as whether you would define as goth from how you're dressed today I mean I don't think I I don't think I could call myself a goth at at the moment I think goth was also something always that I'd kind of you know, it wasn't something that I was wearing every day going to work. Because sometimes you see people and they're just like keeping, still keeping a minimal bit of gotham even within right, within the yeah, confines yeah, yeah. of a dress code. And I wouldn't do that. I think kind of like it was always like a performance part, something that I do for a kind of a night out. But equally, I think a lot of time I, the reason I'd like to say, oh yeah, that I was like king of the goths is because often like the biggest people who you associate kind of with goth like kind of, you know, Eldritch and the Sisters of Mercy or, you know, Robert Smith and the Cure, they like hate the term goth. Right. And they're like, no, we're not goth. That's a stupid label. In fact, a way of telling person, someone who is a goth, a pro- if yeah, they refuse to the say they're not a goth. So, but I was always like being, trying to like saying, yeah, I'm being goth. I'm like aspiring. And I thought that was kind of, that was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of funny to kind of do that as well as like being a genuine, being a sort of, a sort of thing. I mean, I suppose, like, now, what I'd say, I'm less of a goth, more of, like, an ageing hipster, like, hanging around in Hackney. <laughs> and I think it's a similar thing, where, like, if you're... People who are, like, hipsters don't say... They're like, I'm not a, I'm not a hipster. But I'm obviously, like, if I've moved... If I've moved to live in Hackney, I'm not, and I'm, you know... And you're wearing dr- a hat. And I'm wearing a hat, yeah. and drinking craft ales. I'm taking all the joy, you know, all the the benefits of hipsterdom and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to performance storytelling nights in the Hackney attic. Right, right. Uh, it's like, yeah, but I'm not a, a hipster. Well, I'm not like a... I'm not like a pearly king or queen. I am part of that sort of... I don't know, that, gen, that sort of hipsterization, not necessarily gentrification, but process that's kind of, that's kind of going on there. And the thing is, as well, I always think, like, as I was an aspiring goth, I wanted to be king of the goths, but I never was. So, like, I'm not... An, I, I can say I'm a hipster. I'm a, an aspiring hipster. Not that many people would want to say that because it's usually a negative... It's got a lot of negative connotations. Right. But I'm not, like, a true... You know, I'm not, a, like... I'm not good enough, in a way, to be that person, to be, like, the true... I don't have that just instinctive... Almost, like, often, like, chatting to hipsters, they're kind of, like... All, it's almost like an unconscious ability to just follow those trends and and look in that kind of way. And I <laughs> I think about it too much. I think I'm probably too self aware to be a hipster. If that is kind of, <laughs> but I still want. I still like doing a lot of the things. So it's like I quite like in a way like a label like goth or hipster is like a useful. It's 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 suddenly once you put a. Aaron uh, Boo labels are terrible, but once you put a label on it and say, "Okay, so this is what it is," but then where where does it come from, and what are the influences, and what kind of def- defines that? And like mm-hmm. before I got into goth, I like I knew the look, but I didn't really know the music that well. I was kind of like I was just into Geno, generic sort of metal. Yeah, that's right. Because when I spoke to Geno, I said I don't, know, I, I I didn't think you were a goth. That, 
uni and she said oh but yeah but he was into metal so yeah so that registered with her obviously yeah. but it's like kind of re you know i've been trying to see you know go there see fields of the neth see the mission see um see like the cult and stuff like and, like filling in this backstory as to like what what happens create this look does yeah. did jen does jen was jen was a goth, as a goth? she was well no so, not now she wouldn't no. but she was a goth that she was a teenage goth. Yeah. She was a teenage goth. Yeah, right. She went to goth clubs, like specifically goth clubs, yeah. and where people, you know, dressed as as you you say, like very, uh, in, you know, people going in uh, in wedding dresses, yeah. and people going in like all of the like the full costume, the bondage gear, all of that yeah. stuff. I think was around. Yeah. Why did she? Why did she stop being? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That was that's a question that I could ask her. Yeah. I mean, I I I I don't know, and I would hesitate to to come up with some kind of theory when it's going to go on podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'd be you happy. I'd be so happy to happy yeah. to uh, to make assumptions and like theories about her and then test them yeah. out uh, off mic. But does she, yeah. I don't want to label her in in no. any way like that. But does she still goth up? I I still goth up now. She. Still, there is the legacy of gothies in her eye makeup to, to a certain extent. Yeah. But she's very different in her look and style and life now But uh, than she was. But even when she was at university, she, she wasn't really a goth, I would say, by then. She was like a teenage goth, but by the time she was at uni, it was more Belle and Sebastian. It was yeah. more like... And I think that that was there was a lot of that with her growing up as well. Actually, yeah. there was like a lot of indie. Like, so she, I wouldn't say she was that into the heavy goth scene. I mean, I don't know. Looking at our CD collection, she's got the Sisters of Mercy are up there. Like yeah. Nine Inch Nails are up there. Although I like some of their stuff, but it, it's it's certainly not dominated by goth music. No. And like, I don't know. I think she liked the uh, the the kind of melodrama of it, the yeah. drama of it, the and the fact that it was. Like out, I'm doing exactly what I said I shouldn't do. But <laughs> the fact that it was outside of the mainstream, it yeah. was like so. If you're looking for, so she was in York. Uh, if you're looking for something outside of the mainstream, like that, th- that's a yeah makes makes sense to, to 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 go that way. I mean, I went to a rock like heavy rock, hard rock club in Cardiff for the same reason. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Like whilst I like some of that music, I wouldn't necessarily say that would have defined no. me if I'd have been in a bigger place with more options. Yeah. And I think, like, it, you go... It's often those smaller places, like, where it's quite remote. Like, I remember, like, being in, like... Um, I don't know where I was. Like, in, it was in, like, the Lake District, and there's just, like, a phone box, and just went and someone like, carved in, like, Marilyn Manson, like, written. <laughs> it's just like, wow, just kind of... You know, it gets... It kind of gets everywhere. But I think, yeah, if you're growing up in somewhere that is kind of sometimes rural or a smaller place, and you're, like, trying to... You'll see. You're you're looking for something else. Best so. way to piss off your parents, I think, is to have in the in the in a kind of small village. I've lived in small villages as well. Yeah, I lived in a small village in North Wales when I was growing up. So I'm I'm not saying anything negative about small villages, but I think that sometimes like you can want to challenge the kind of homogeneousness uh, of them. You know, they. they Everything feels very of one cultural reference point. And yeah, so definitely. you kind of want to challenge that, don't you, I think? Yeah, and bit. I think... Especially if you're a teenager. Yeah, there's that rebellious... <laughs> I don't think I, like... I know. I didn't... I don't think I wanted to, like, challenge kind of my pa- parents as as much. And that's maybe why, like, going to kind of... 
like it was more something I thought I could do at sort of university that I was kind of like hey, I'm free here I can do kind of you know this is a kind of, kind yeah. of thing to kind of go go but I was always like probably at heart I'm someone who wants people like someone has described me as someone who likes to be liked right and I'm keen like not to upset sort of other people so like I never really I probably never probably was a little that I didn't really have that much of a rebellious sort of thing that was from my, my middle sister's role so was within was in the family to be that sort of more rebellious figure and I was like more of a kind of like a heart like trying to keep a conciliatory facilitating sort of right. figure within 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 the family and I guess maybe that's why like when I went to university when I like kind of was able to sort of be away and from that I was like ah now I can be more more self-indulgent and try and be like hey, developing your own kind of identity and trying to, rather than being like, hey, you know, making everyone making everyone happy and making yeah. sure everyone's okay. Although if you come to London, then you can have a very unique and interesting identity and have a lot less, like, upset. You don't, you upset people a lot less. Yeah. Because it's quite, di- quite diverse in so many ways in London that you can, uh, people are less likely to be offended by the, your presence if you dress differently, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think... That's people are, <laughs> people, you know, it's people still because, will. I'm not, yeah. saying, I'm not saying it's a utopian. <laughs> no, people are like, I guess, I think the tube probably like everyone gets hypnotized into a state of the tube of just being like able to shut down and live within their own right. private world. Yeah, because you like look down the carriage and everyone's dressed in a completely different way, yeah. got a completely different point of view on the way that they, that, that, you know, on their life, you know. And yeah. they, they they don't they're not they're not bashing each other on the head generally no. speaking. But there is like a freedom, yeah, definitely. To you can come down, and as soon as I as soon as when I go back home, I could just go into like the local shop and like it's nice, it's nice in a way because they're like they know you and they're like oh when are you gonna cut that hair? I'm gonna cut his scissors and cut your hair. And until until I had the beard, I was just be kind of I'd go into the pub and people would be like mm, you know. Long haired. We got called a long haired freak one time. That was quite good. But once I grew the beards, I like became associated with Jesus, and people oh, would say would shout Jesus weird. and stuff at me. But um, that was quite it was quite nice because it was like it gave them something that they were kind of familiar with, and they'd get like I don't know. It was like you could do like Easter jokes and things like that, and you know you play along, <laughs> and you had like certainly like an identity. And I went to a fu- funeral of my friend's mum. It, it was kind of, it, it was done jokingly, but like, like the kids were like, oh, has, has Jesus come to mum's funeral and stuff like that? And it, I don't know, like, it was a weird, it was a weird kind of feeling of being yeah. like, people would, people were, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm Jesus, Liam Herring fans, but I'm just, people were like, kind of, had a sort of, oh, you know, you're an, uh, you're able to then to provide a bit of humour to this sad sort of occasion and this yeah. child sort of saying this thing. I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. It's, it's nice having that function. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I mean, that's, it's an important function really, like, uh, to have it, as long as it's a, like, it's, it's nice to provide humour in those occasions for sure. Uh, and it's good that you can look at it in that way. I mean, I guess maybe that's because you didn't, like stand out too much when you were growing up that like when you're growing up that's a hard time to yeah hard time to get the grief I think but maybe you've come to it with a little bit more perspective because you were like an adult when you when you're doing it yeah, yeah I think so I think like probably 
I think my friends would say that I, I was always like a bit of a within school that well I would just be known for being like just being controversial for controversy's sake and or and so there was always like I know I think like as time goes on you you've all, maybe you've got that desire you've got that desire to be slightly different but you're like ah how do I how do I do it like or how do I, what is my voice or what is my thing yeah. like what what am I and you you know you come down and you try out different you try out different things and you're like hey this is good and all, a, a big part of it is also being like being brave enough to kind of do it like a lot of the things you're not you're not doing them because you're like oh I don't want to there's like a Swedish term called like yanta have you which is like I'm I'm not I think there's like a big thing like growing up in the north where it's like you know it's like I don't have a I'm not a particularly good I'm not a standout individual I'm not particularly good at things my house isn't that good you're very kind of like just playing yourself down and it like plays into that kind of Scandinavian model which you know it allows you to have a nice or socialist society because you're you're less because you're happy to kind of fit in and collective and I think like a lot of people like suffer from that like where where I kind of come from there's like a yanta like yeah you don't want to you don't want to stand out you don't want people to laugh at you for like failing but you know in a way once you kind of <laughs> once you like embrace yeah. uh, failure and you're like and you're able to move and you're like Oh, I can then suddenly you're like able to like write again. Like you're like oh, I can write something. You know, you can put that out there. If it's good, if it's good or bad in a way. Right. It doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily matter as long as you're right. like hey, you're building to the next thing and you're yeah, building yeah, yeah. and there's like a, a narrative of kind of pro- progression there and you feel better for for having done it rather than just like I think if you don't when you don't do it when you when you're not trying to trying to follow that then you become frustrated and you're like ah oh, I'm you know why am I not doing doing things right. I think it's, yeah and I think and I think as well you know because you're in you know you when you're in a place where you can see other people doing it when you're in London and you're seeing you know you you know it's it was very nice actually like seeing you again and say wow look you're running these different nights yeah. from, from Lancaster yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like thinking wow like in kind of like the wrestling podcast they're always talking about oh yeah I saw you at wrestling school and things like like that and it's like hey look the Lancaster scene here's someone else from yeah, Lancaster yeah there's quite a Come few people doing, from yeah. Lancaster in London now I mean and that's I think that's I mean it's the nature of doing an arts based subject everyone will come to London yeah but uh, you know it's nice it's nice to, to have people and you know we're all getting I don't know like I'm 32 and that it's like everybody's now in jobs where they, you know, actually sort of, you know, those connections are good connections to have yeah. often because people are, you know, trying to find their way through life as well and they get to, a, a you know, relatively good positions and it's exciting to see your friends do well. But yeah. it's also, you know, that's a useful uh, resource, I guess. That's a networking yeah. thing. I mean, that's what that's what people from Oxford and Cambridge in theory have, don't they? Like, yeah. that, I mean, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but uh, I'm saying it that, maybe there are compar- comparable privileges to going to a standard university yeah. that, that, that we have connections just as much as, uh, not as much, not as useful connections, but more useful than some people's connections. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, my girlfriend, she um, she went to Cambridge and it was kind of through seeing, like, a lot of her friends doing, like, creative, putting, putting on shows, doing things. Yeah. There. There's also this one. It's like, hey, look at everyone's doing it. But there's also like a kind of Morrissey. I hate it when our friends become successful. Yeah, oh yeah, there's like, that too. Oh, God, that guy. 
fuck him, I could do, I'd do a show better, better than that, oh, that sort of thing. I mean, maybe. I think that's something I had a lot more when I was younger. Yeah. I really don't feel it anymore. I'm not against people feeling it. I understand it. I relate to it. But yeah. I'm, I'm quite pleased I don't feel it anymore. Because it's quite exhausting to just be so jealous of people all the time. I think when you've done Talent. stuff, isn't it? When you've actually produced things, then you're like, well, I've got my own thing. You know, I've, I've, I think it's, you know, something when you're like, you haven't got anything to... And you're just like, you know, I want to... Yeah, when you're in a dark place, then it's hard to appreciate other people's happiness, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think that is like... That is true. With a PhD as well, like, there's a lot of kind of... (laughs) There's a lot of like, you know, God, I finished the, you know, Facebook updates about the status of that PhD. And, you know, you're, oh, they finished. And it's a bit like... I think it was like Jerry Lee Lewis, who was like, when he heard, like... Elvis died or something well he was just like well that's just more coke for me then or something like that and there can be like I think with when you're doing the PhD like you can have a negative side where you're just like god everyone else's success just emphasises my own failure right but um, I think that's you know why it's important not to you know to appreciate you know to try and appreciate the bits of you know the the bits of time that you have and enjoy it. Like I've yeah. some people who've done it and it's like, Oh God, you know, they've, they've in the end, their PhD is like amazing and they've, they've got, but it's been a real struggle and like misery <laughs> for them. And that when I, when I, when I was doing it and it is like a big, it's a, like a, it's a big adjustment, like moving out from like doing five days a week work. And then, you're like, it's all about, hey, sending emails and, you know, going back and forward, forward with people and getting that instant thing to then just being like, whoa, you're alone in a library for three months. Right. And you see your super... And you have to, like... It, I know, it's like a real kind of changing the rhythm of, of your life. I know a few people doing PhDs. Yeah. And, and, and I, it sounds like a lot of work and a lot of, like, a different process than... Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, it seems very kind of, in some ways, quite similar to writing a novel. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard thing, I think, to do. Although, you know... Have you written a novel? I've, I've written a couple of novels. Well, wow. I've not had any of them published, so I don't know where that... What that... If, if, if the listeners will judge that as having written novels or not, but... I think that counts as right. You don't know what happened posthumously. Right, could be yeah, Catholic, yeah. I, I, I kind of, you know, <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. And I think the time and the effort is the kind of significant thing in a way. But I mean, I, I would like to put a caveat that I'm not suggesting that writing a novel or doing a PhD is as hard as many other people's jobs. No, uh, that's it's true. just all jobs are relatively hard and it's easy to think that they're not. So I guess people always feel like it's important to reveal that they are, but they're not as hard as, as you know, really hard. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, and they're compensated. Generally, they're compensated yeah. in some way. Like at writing a novel, it might be hard work, but it's it's uh, it's work you want to do. Yeah. It's actually you're doing something for yourself, and it's actually nourishing. And you're you know, it's incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to to manage to fit that into your life. Yeah. But but I was oh, what was I going to say about? Um, I'm not. I wouldn't like to suggest that I'm not above envying people uh, for being successful. Okay. I just don't feel like that about my friends anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I know that it's, you know, and, and and you know, like I mean, I I I totally like look at other people who are doing what doing well with their things and sort of wish that I had uh, the same kind of opportunities. But at the same time, I think I do do it less, and I think the the less and less. I do it the happier I am yeah I so. <laughs> so uh 
that's that's definitely i mean it's it's so tempting to think that that everything's finite that there's not enough to go around and there kind of isn't enough to go around yeah. like love or or uh having a platform reaching an audience all mm. of these things there, there, there isn't probably enough to go around everyone but there's a lot more than you kind of feel like there is like it's like your your failure isn't somebody else's success isn't stopping you from being successful some other things are I yeah mind. luck mostly yeah, like when you when you start, you think oh, it's all about talent, but I think luck and talent are both incredibly useful things to have. Yeah, and putting you know putting in the hours and yeah. getting you know right, doing and that. that's the third one, yeah. right? Persistence, and that's how you really like not weed people out, but that's how you kind of find out if you're a writer or not, or yeah. an artist or not, or whatever. Is if you're still doing it even though you're not getting anywhere, and you're keeping on doing it, and you're trying to get better. Yeah. But then you may just be... Like, my dad is... He listens to the show, so I don't want to say anything that... Well, he'll know. But, I mean, my dad's 90, and he's a writer, but he's not, like, really had anything that's got published particularly. I mean, just some kids' books. So it's absolutely possible to live out your entire life with that dream and never achieve it. You know, when you're saying, follow your dream, you know, even Mm. if you're following your dream, maybe it's better to drift. Yeah. Maybe it's better to drift. I think... I think that's, you know, one of the things about, you know, it was really good going to Spark because I've kind of like, I've been doing these shows at Edinburgh, but not necessarily having, I don't know, like, or an environment in which you're kind of, because like stand-up, although it's, I don't know, the Fringe creates like a unique kind of atmosphere in which you can kind of almost, like, there's a, you can pretty much do anything yeah, up there yeah. and someone will come and, and see it. Whereas like stand-up nights doing that always seem like intimidating to me and I don't really think that I am. A, a stand-up be there but coming along like and just seeing all the different people at, you know at well what's nice about saying yeah. stories well that's it? what's nice about Spark anyway is that it isn't like professionals it's just people yeah so like it's like you, you hear stories from all different kinds of people about all different kinds of lives lives that's I mean that's one of the things I'm trying to do with getting better acquainted as well it's like we're not all lucky enough to have the platform yeah it's great to to hear from people, you know, who we wouldn't normally hear from, because it's not just about the platform, it's, it's, it's also about generally the media focuses on specific things, yeah. and so you, they don't, they're not interested in hearing the other stories, but the other stories are interesting. So Yeah, definitely. Like, I've listened to a few of them now as a kind of, like... And they are really good. It's just, I'm, like, I'm amazing glad, kind of... I'm glad you're feeling that. Yeah. Well... Yeah. Like how intro, you know, other people looking at their own lives and you know making making sense of it and creating those kind of yeah. narratives and like it's like the interviews I do with the visitors and how they put that into like how they react to exhibitions and and stuff and just like have the relevance of their own lives and like had a head teacher talking about like Pompeii and Herculaneum and how she'd like fought not to have like an atrium in her school because it was like it was okay for the Romans but over here it's like. <laughs> And just over here, like the rain, you can't heat them, and it's just like it's weird. I never real really thought about like the effect of the classical architecture on modern school design, right. but just by hearing her about her, her like grievances about like the yeah. planning thing, and just like wow, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. And now I look at atriums in a whole different way, and simply like listening to you know though you know, um you're getting better acquaintance it's really interesting just like yeah the different paths people have gone yeah no it's i mean i i find it uh fascinating doing it and i'm glad that you're having that that reaction i mean you know i i think 
and that's the other thing. I mean, I don't like I want more audience for the show, but even if there's just a hundred people who are listening like regularly every yeah. time and getting something from it, then that's still like a larger audience than you would get in a in in Edinburgh, yeah. probably. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's it, like being comfortable, being like. Like appreciating the audiences that you do have, yeah. I think that's something that it takes a long time to feel as an artist because you're always looking for the big audience. Yeah, and you can't. You've got to just like appreciate the people who are there, like and 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 not, you know, and and yeah. And I think increasingly, I find I can do that more and more because I'm I'm big into the audience. Yeah. That's like what I'm interested in. Like I'm interested in the way that art communicates with the audience, and so. uh it's been it helps that relationship to appreciate the the other person on the other side um so hopefully i'm doing that more the the last thing i ask people is do do you have anything to plug what what have i got to plug i suppose i've put in i put in um the application for this year's edinburgh show last week so i'm hoping that'll if that gets accepted then um yeah definitely come and see the Sheriff of Nottingham, the HR Years, the musical. Okay. Uh, this year's Edinburgh Fringe. That sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, I will come and see it yeah. for sure. Um, do you know you don't? You haven't been given an offer. I've just um, I've just sent in last well, week. Well, so it'll probably be a anything. while before I yeah. air this because I mean, it, it, I, there's normally I, I normally air them quite a lot later, depending on when the plug is. If someone's got a yeah. close plug, so uh, let me know the details yeah. if, if you do get accepted and I can add them on at the yeah, end yeah that'd be cool and uh, and uh, you know put it out nearer to Edinburgh to make it a little bit more of a kind of helpful thing for you yeah no, um, that'd be great because that's what, what, what I like to, I try to get people to get the most they can get out of coming on the show like they can um, since they're giving me their, their their conversation I want to try and give them something back it's been a pleasure uh, do you have anything else to, sorry before I say that like, anything else to plug um, go on the uh, Ch- Cheshire Liberation Prince blog right um, How, where do people find that you put, if you put um, oh god you don't have to put so it's a professional name but in, in you just put Cheshire Liberation Front into, into Google, into Google <laughs> <and it'll come. laughs> okay well, that's fair enough I mean yeah. it's good to, those are three words that are probably not going to come oh, up okay. together very often yeah. right Cool. Well, this is different. I'll, I'll check that out too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and uh, to sort of like I don't know, for better or worse, I don't know whether it's significant or not, but it feels significant, doesn't it? That like you have kind of if you if you've been in a place with somebody a long time ago. Yeah. It, it's like the parallel lives that you have after that become yeah. quite interesting. Uh, in a way that you know you wouldn't necessarily be finding parallels between somebody that you met at a bus stop. Yeah, but you, you, it's interesting to look at that. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Bye. So this episode touched on the Edinburgh Fringe. The next couple of episodes are going to be with people who have been working with me on Stand Up Tragedy and are also part of the Edinburgh Fringe season that I've started up with last week's episode. You can come and see me at Stand Up Tragedy from the 2nd till the 24th of August at the Banshee Labyrinth at 7.30 every day. Different lineup of tragic 
performers, music, comedy, spoken word, storytelling and more. It's going to be great. Come along. Check out www.standuptragedy.co.uk for more details. If you want to help me make the tragedy happen, please consider donating to the PayPal button on that account because it's hard work getting all this together this year for me as a gamble. I don't know if it's going to pay off, but certainly I am doing it. I have no choice now. This is what is happening and the shows are going to be great. And if you want to see a bit more Getting Better Acquainted, you can see that from the 18th to the 22nd of August at 3.15pm at the Royal Oak. And that's also part of the free fringe. So come on down and get better acquainted with me. As today's episode with Fran mentioned, he's got a show in Edinburgh as well. He's actually in direct competition with Stand Up Tragedy, but that's okay because you can see him one day and you can see us a different day. In fact, you can come along to us a few times because every night's going to be a different show. His show is The Sheriff of Nottingham, a musical musing on middle management. And it's on at the Hotel Ibis from 7.30 for an hour from Sunday, August the 10th until Saturday, August the 16th. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way and on the stitcher smart radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted